This has nothing to do with what we're talking about today, but this past week, um, my wife is an enormous Josh Groban fan. Y'all know who Josh Groban is? You lift me up. Yeah, that's him, right? I know. Josh Groban, just huge. And so she's been bugging me for like two years. Like, Peter, if Josh Groban is in town, please get me tickets, you know? She almost never does concerts, and she's like, please get me tickets. I want to go see Josh Groban. I'm like... Okay, so I was looking it up and a um, couple of tickets. I came home. I'm like, Jenny, do I have to like go with you to go see Josh Groban <laughs> to like sit amongst the sea of like 40 year old women, right, and older? Or, do you, or can you, you know, she's like, of course you have to come with me. You can't do me by yourself. I'm like, oh, so I have to go with you. And she goes, you don't have to go with me. You get to go with me. You don't have to, right? You get to go with me, right? <laughs> And then she goes, that's right, that's right. Your joy should come from the fact that I'm joyful, right? And for those of you that have not been around our church, this will kind of, and then she goes, that's right, I got more of those fortune cookie zingers if you want them, right? She's like, I pay pay attention to you when you're preaching. So anyway, so I'm going to go, I think, to go see Josh Groban. Anybody Josh Groban fan? Yeah? Okay, maybe one of you guys can go with. No, I'm going to go with my wife. Because I get to love my wife. I don't have to. I get to love my wife. Um, You know, what I want to do today, actually, is before uh, we launch in um, and talk about forgiveness, I want to just pray for a second. My heart is heavy this morning in light of emails and conversations I've had throughout this past week as we began this journey on forgiveness last week. And And I just want to pray and ask God and for the Spirit to be here this morning that I would be sensitive and discerning to what God would have to say. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I need you. We need you this morning. You are our healer. You are our teacher of truth. This is a heavy topic. This is an enormously difficult topic. It's an enormously painful topic to talk about for some of us. So we need your Holy Spirit to be here this morning. And I'm thinking right now about all my brothers and sisters out there, some who are not even here today, who wrestle deeply, God, forgiving somebody. I pray that you would be our teacher this morning, be our counselor this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read you an email that I think reflects where many of you are and the reason why I decided to do this two-part sermon series a while back. As a child, my father was very emotionally abusive to my mother and myself. He cheated and left when I was 15 and has told me for years that we don't have a relationship because I don't call him, even though he doesn't call me either. In addition, my step-cousin inappropriately touched me from ages 7 to 9 or 10. And he told me that it was what we were supposed to do if we wanted to be adults. And I believed him. My paternal grandmother found us, and it was a huge scandal that was quickly brushed under the rug. No one asked if I was okay, and no one tried to keep him away from me. For years... At every family function, I had to interact with him. He even approached me again to try to start things back up. But by this time, 
I learned that it was wrong, and I told him so. The problem is that I, I know that I'm supposed to forgive and respect my family. But the lack of courage to face him, but I, I lack the courage to face him and having trouble wanting to forgive. Anybody relate? Mostly, I would like to confront my father and ask him why he didn't protect me from my cousin. Why does he put most of the blame on me for our relationship? And why did he treat me the way he did as a child? I mostly lack the courage because he and I had a blowout about four years ago where he denied ever having treated me poorly, saying that he was a good father. How am I supposed to forgive if he denies all of these actions? Finally, my husband and I have differing opinions about forgiveness. My husband says that I can forgive them and still not be obligated to join the family. However, I believe that if I truly forgive them, I have to allow them back into my life. If I have to let them back into my life, that makes it way more reluctant to work things out. Can anybody relate to any of what she is saying? Forgiveness is a difficult topic to talk about, and yet it is essential to talk about it because at the crux of our faith lies this truth that we are forgiven people. But forgiveness is a spiritual discipline. You don't wake up one day and be really good at forgiveness. Forgiveness is a lifelong process of disciplining, teaching, reminding ourselves on how to forgive. Matter of fact, the early church fathers and Christians in the past dealt a lot with this issue because they knew that it was at the center of a vital spiritual life. Unfortunately, we don't talk about it a lot in the modern church. And I think there are a number of reasons why that is the case. But we need to, because as I shared last week, it is at the center of what it means to have a vital relationship with God and obviously with each other. Forgiveness. We began last week's journey by saying what forgiveness is not. And so I want to just do a brief review as we move on this week. Forgiveness is not condoning. Some people don't know how to forgive because they think if they forgive somebody, it's as if they're saying what they did to me was okay. And that is not forgiveness. Forgiveness, setting that person free. Forgiveness, resolving to live free with bitterness from bitterness, anger, resentment. Forgiveness is a different thing than condoning what somebody has done to us. Forgiveness. Secondly, forgiveness is not forgetting. What do I mean? If he has been doing this to you for 11 years and he says, you just need to forgive and forget, it is not saying I can't draw boundaries. It is not saying I can't live here anymore. It is not the same thing as saying I need to move out, get a restraining order. Some people are toxic. Some people are dangerous. Some people are manipulative over and over and over again. And forgiving them is a different issue from saying, well, let's just forgive and forget. Go back to things. They may not. Forgiveness is also not justice and consequences. Forgiveness is not saying that if somebody has wronged you legally, that you take no course of action legally. There are folks who need to face the consequences of what they've done. Justice, maybe not just for you even, but for the sake of others that they may hurt. Forgiveness, different thing. 
from the perpetrator or the offender facing the consequences and justice of their actions. Forgiveness is also not reconciliation. Christians sometimes confuse these two. Forgiveness means that you can do something, but the two of you may never, ever get back together again. Forgiveness is not the same thing as two of you ever entering into another business transaction together again. Forgiveness is not, well, we just going to go back to the way things were. And we're. Forgiveness is a totally different thing than two people deciding to reconcile. Common sense. How many people do you need to forgive? Just one, yourself. How many people do you need to reconcile? You need two. So there's some folks who paralyzed because they want to forgive and reconcile, and yet reconciliation takes two people. Does that make sense? You're tracking so far. Here's the thing, though. You can't reconcile truly without forgiving first. I'll talk a little bit more about that. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. What is forgiveness? This is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. First and foremost, forgiveness is personal. You don't forgive institutions. You forgive people. I hear this a lot as a pastor. I can't forgive the church. The church wronged me. You can't forgive a faceless, nameless institution. What you're saying is, I can't forgive that person, those people, that group that hurt me. Forgiveness is personal. There are people, not nameless, faceless institutions that have harmed, offended, wronged. And forgiveness is a process of recognizing who did what, when, and where. It's personal. Forgiveness is also a process. Many of us have been profoundly shaped by something that happened years ago. How do you undo that overnight? How do you forgive somebody overnight and move on? Forgiveness is a process, first and foremost, some of us recognizing I have been hurt by him or by her. And just beginning the process of recognizing who has hurt you and what has been done to you is process, is forgiveness. I joked last week, if some of you as a result of today walk out and saying, I no longer have thoughts of wanting to kill him, that's process. It's a process. It's a process. Forgiveness. In Matthew chapter 18, open your Bibles with me. Jesus delves into this issue of forgiveness. Apparently, somebody has done something against Peter. And so Peter brings up this issue of forgiveness. In verse 21, he says to Jesus, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Very important critical principle we learned last week about forgiveness. Forgiveness. Peter thinks that forgiveness is for the benefit of who? Forgiveness, Peter thinks, benefit of the offender. He thinks forgiveness is for the person that he's wrong, that he's trying to, if you will, do a favor, be nice to. His perspective of forgiveness is somebody has done something to me, and I want to do something nice to them. I want to relieve their guilt-ridden conscience. I'm going to forgive them. I'll be a good Christian. I will let them. Peter thinks forgiveness is for them. Many of us think forgiveness ultimately is about somebody else and doing something for them. So what do we do? We wait and wait and wait. Build our case. 
As I said last week, some of us have imaginary conversations with people who have wronged us. And we build our case. We build our case. We build our case. We wait for them to come grovel, ask for forgiveness, say I've been wrong. And then at that point we go, fine, I will finally extend forgiveness to you and do something nice for you. Forgiveness is not for the benefit of the offender. Forgiveness is for who? It's you. And it's me. And what it does to us and our heart. And in our soul. Why is that? This is is a very critical principle of forgiveness. When when somebody wrongs you. There's a, a real emotional debt. A loss. That happens. A loss of face. A loss of reputation. A loss of something. Or we feel robbed. I heard a couple of people say this week, I was robbed of my childhood by my father. I was robbed of my childhood by my mother. We feel robbed that something is taken from us. And what happens is we've developed this debt relationship with the person who wrongs us. And we sort of hold them liable and saying, you owe me. That's why we say things like, you owe me. And what? Apology. There's a profound sense emotionally in which we hold that person and say, you owe me. There's a loss. I feel robbed. And you, a debt, an emotional debt. And it's real. And it's powerful. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's real. It's powerful. And it's there. And it doesn't go away. So we walk around with this sense in which people who've wronged us are debtors to us. They owe us something. That's Peter. Verse 23, 22. So Jesus answered in response to Peter's question. I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, meaning without limit, which is very problematic if forgiveness is for the benefit of the other person, which is very problematic and almost impossible if you go forgiveness for them. So without limit every time, Jesus then says, let me tell you a story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. The amount of that is very important for this story. One denarii, Bible scholars out there, is worth how many days' wages? One day's wages. 10,000 talents is about five to six, 7,000 denarius, depending on the weight of gold, which is what they used So 10,000 talents roughly equaled 60 million days of wages. Yes. So the people who heard Jesus' audience, uh, Jesus' first audience are going, that's a lot of money. The debt that is owed, listen, the debt that is owed in this story, the difference and the comparison is not between a large sum of money that you could potentially pay and a small sum of money. Jesus compares a debt you got no shot of paying. You have no chance. You can't. It's impossible to pay it back versus a small sum of money. Second thing, important thing for this story is a servant. If you pay attention to the Bible, you go, he's a servant. He's a cook. He's a gardener. How do you have so much? He's not a cook. A servant, most likely in this story, was a vassal king or a regional governor under the great emperor who was entrusted with the king's resources to do the king's bidding in that region of the empire. So here's the important critical thing. Is it mismanagement? Good guy sort of mismanaged the funds? Or is it corruption? There is something in him. And we find out a little bit later, don't we? 
This man has put the emperor's empire and his ability to rule at risk. He has jeopardized the emperor's ability to rule. This is a serious, unrepayable debt. Story goes on. Verse 25. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt, which was cultural norm of the day. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me. The word patient, big hearted. Be big hearted with me. He begged and I will pay back everything. Can he? Church, question. Can he? The servant's master took pity on him, knowing that he can't. Just give me enough time. To which the king could have said, ain't got enough time. You will never pay. It's impossible to. you." But he canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Hundred denarii is how many days worth of wages? One hundred days. Three months payment. Unpayable debt. Three months wages. Impossible to pay back. Work three months and pay it back. He grabbed him and choked him. Before the guys even had a He hasn't even had a chance to say nothing. He just sees him on the street. He goes for his throat. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Two questions. Does that sound familiar? Secondly, can he pay that back? But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant. You wicked servant. Unwillingness to forgive. Extend grace and mercy as has been extended grace. Jesus doesn't say, you unforgiving, you lacking grace, you lacking mercy. You what? You wickedness. Wickedness is what you're doing, he said. I cancel all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant? Just as. Underline, just as, just as I had mercy on you. Huge, critical anchor principle that we don't have full time to delve into, but lies at the, the essence of this story is this. The king is saying to the servant, I stopped keeping accounting of what you did. I stopped with the bookkeeping, record-keeping way of dealing with you. And yet, what did you do? Though your approach to that fellow servant is exactly what I no longer do with you. In other words, your approach to your fellow servant, fellow friend, is keeping account, bookkeeping, keeping a record of what he owes you and what he's done for you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, love keeps no, what? 
record of wrongs. Do you know what Jesus is saying? Here's the essence of the gospel. You know what the essence of the gospel is? God no longer deals with us from a record-keeping approach. The essence of the gospel is Jesus' insistence that God loves you, not because of the good things you do, and God doesn't withhold love from you because of the bad things you do. The essence of the gospel is, I am done, God says, with the record-keeping, your record because now I long to approach you now from the record of who? Jesus Christ. Is that good news? Is that good news? That's the gospel right here. God says, I no longer keep a record of what you do and don't do and treat you that way. I treat you in accordance with the record of Jesus who died to pay your debt. That's why his love and grace is eternal, unconditional, and free. (laughs) Darius back there says, that's good news. It is good news. Amen. Now, every time you read love keeps no record, you'll think differently about what that passage means. The gospel. Oh, by the way, one other thing we'll pick up. Pick up. How ridiculous is that the servant starts acting like the king? The, the servant, unforgiving servant, starts acting like the king. You know what Jesus is doing? He's putting a mirror in front of you and me and going, that's what you do. When you hold on to bitterness and anger and refuse to forgive. You servant are acting like the king, judge, and jury. We'll come back to that a little bit at the end. Verse 34. 34. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Oh, that's a long time. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your father or brother or sister from your heart. And I said last week, Peter is deeply sorry that he even asked the question in the first place. (laughs) Why is Jesus so seemingly harsh about this? This unforgiving servant at the end is not just thrown into prison. The Bible says he's tortured. In other words, he is doomed to eternal punishment. To which you and I go, whoa. Just because he didn't forgive? I mean, that sounds a lot like religion to me. Like, like if you forgive somebody, you get to go to heaven. But if you don't forgive somebody, you're doomed to eternal destruction. To which if you come to new community and you love the gospel, you go, that doesn't make any sense. That's not what Jesus is saying, is it? No, that is not what Jesus is saying. Here's what Jesus is saying. He is saying, anybody who has encountered my mercy truly and genuinely will also extend that mercy To somebody else truly and genuinely. The sign. Listen to me. The sign that you have encountered grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ in your heart is your willingness to forgive. 
You can give lip service. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I believe the gospel. Jesus says, not my words, his words. The test, the sign that you have truly encountered and experienced my forgiveness is that you will then extend forgiveness to your brother, your sister, and to your neighbors. Are you hearing me? You cannot walk around and say, I've encountered forgiveness. I've experienced the gospel and walk around not forgiving. If you are, at the very least, you are blocking the effect of the gospel in your life. Or at the worst, you're not truly a Christian. I don't say that judgmentally. It's what scripture says. The spiritual barometer, listen of whether you have encountered grace in your life is whether you can forgive. It may not happen today. It's a process. It may not happen tomorrow. It may take weeks and months. But forgiveness will be a vital part of your life. The other thing about why this is so critical is not just for our future, but for our present. What do I mean? Remember we talked about this? Why does Jesus portray this entire parable in the context of a prison? And this is why he's so serious. He says an unwillingness to forgive and holding on to bitterness, anger, and resentment will enslave you, hold you captive, hold you a prisoner to your anger, to your bitterness, to your hatred. And the human heart and the human soul was not created to be a container of hate, anger, and bitterness. It will corrode your insides. Do you know what I've seen anger, bitterness, and resentment do to people? Let me just show you from a pastoral perspective. Here's how people deal with it. When they don't forgive and hold on to it. Sometimes... Because they can't, for whatever reason, lash out at the person that's wronged them, what do they do? They lash out at others, whoever's close by. Not if you know what I'm talking about. For example, if you've been hurt by your employer and you can't get back at your employer because you might get fired, who pays? People around you. You're angry at your father who you've never forgiven and he's no longer around for you to confront Who do you take it out on? Your friends, family, spouses. The people that hurt and get wounded when we don't deal with it are those around us as we slash emotionally. Other ways that people deal with it is suppression and repression. And the anger comes out volcanically disproportionate to what actually was offense. Here's what I'm talking about. How many of you have ever seen somebody blow a fuse in traffic? That's me, by the way. I don't see people. That's me, by the way. I blow my view. Or in line at the grocery store. What is that all about? If you get angry at traffic, listen, Chicago has two seasons, as someone said, right? You have winter and construction. Get used to it. You know what I mean? <laughs> but if you blow a fuse because somebody is late, blow a fuse, somebody cuts you off, something underneath is going on. Let me show you a passage. This is a, this is a hard passage for me because it speaks to me. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. 
See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Why is anger and bitterness pictured as a root? It's a metaphor. Why is anger and bitterness a root? Two reasons. Number one, think of a root. You want to cut down your tree in your backyard? You guys remember yards? Remember yards? (laughs) All these city references there. You guys remember yards? You remember rectangular like grass? Do you remember that? Okay, you're like, oh yeah, I remember yards. I don't have a yard, so I don't know what the, you know, it's been a while. Uh, where was I? Oh, yes, yes. So you, you hypothetically, you know, cut a tree down, right? And, go, and you uproot the stumps and you go, oh, good riddance. No. Why? The roots are still there. Why is anger, bitterness called the root? Number one reason. You and I minimize its effect in us. You know what I'm talking about? We minimize. I rarely hear somebody coming into my office for counseling. That goes, lots of people come into my counseling. Pastor Peter, I need, I need prayer. What? I'm worried. I'm anxious. I'm concerned. Even I'm struggling with lust. Rarely do I have people coming into my office and saying, I need help because I'm Root. Root. This is personally convicting for me because, and and I'm just throwing my laundry out there, y'all, okay? Because my wife has been saying for like two years, Peter, you seem very angry. I don't shout. I don't yell. I don't don't go off. But when I'm in traffic, somebody calls me off. What's that all about? Chill out. You're angry. You know what I always say? I go, no, I'm not. You have anger issues. No, I don't. <laughs> Are you with me so far? Why is it a root? Uh, man, I'm, not, I'm not really angry. How many of you all know what I'm talking about? How many of you know people who have anger issues and they will not admit it? Huh? Yes. Put your, you can put your hand down. Okay. <laughs> Because your spouse is sitting right next to you. So put your hand down, okay? Second reason why, again, we minimize this effect in us. Let me tell you another conversation I have. People come to me and say this. They say, I'm really angry at my father. I'm really angry at my parents to divorce me. But you know what, Pastor Peter? It doesn't affect my attitude towards authority figures. It doesn't really affect my attitude towards authority figures. It doesn't affect my relationship with people of the opposite sex. No, it doesn't. Really? Really, it doesn't. It really doesn't. Oh, so-and-so hurt me, but you know, I mean, it doesn't really affect my... Really, a root, a root. We minimize that it exists. We minimize its powerful, destructive influence. See, even as I say this, I'm looking out there, and there's some of your faces because this is the family environment you grew up in. And my heart just absolutely just breaks because I'm like, God, this is a long, painful journey process for these folks. And we're going to try at the end to give you some perspective and some practical. And we want to pray for you. And lastly, what does anger do? Before I go on to what, do we, what, do we, what does it mean to forgive? How do we forgive? We sometimes just carry it. And this is another thing I've seen pastor, as a pastor. Sometimes the anger and wound becomes internalized. And I actually hear people say, Maybe I deserved it. Maybe that's something about my worth, my value as a human being. 
So when I counsel people of divorce, sometimes folks walk around going, I'm incapable of being loved. I mean, that says something about my worth, myself, my esteem, my value of who I am. And it becomes internalized. How do we forgive? How do we forgive? This is going to be really hard. And please forgive me in advance if these sound like fortune cookie zingers. Because they're not meant to be like flipping like, just do this. And do th-. Oh, it's a lifelong process. This is my best attempt to put it in phrases so you could meditate on it and then take the next steps. First, identify what it is that's been taken from you. Remember we talked about this last week? We we hurt generally, and so we forgive generally. You guys know what I'm talking about? That's why I counsel people who are like, I've forgiven him. You have? Yes, I have. Why are you talking like that? Because I've forgiven him and I don't want to talk about it anymore. I'm the, have you really? Oh. <laughs> and it goes on and on. Okay, you've forgiven him. Okay. We're People say, I forgive. Why? Because if you don't identify specifically what it is that's been taken from you, what it is that you feel robbed of, what it is that you feel like that person owes you, you're never going to enter into the process of forgiving. You can't just walk around generally going, yeah, I've just forgiven them. You can't. It doesn't work that way. Secondly, you've got to identify oh, with the offender. If you felt like walking out right now, please stay for the rest of the sermon, okay? The word take pity, and I'll come back to this word at the end, take pity. Spalakna. Other translations take compassion. This is a huge word because that's what this king does to this servant. And what the Bible is teaching us is if you want to avoid and being twisted and being put in prison of hate, bitterness, and anger is you have to take pity on the person who has wronged you. And listen, take pity on the person who has wronged you is not feeling sorry for them. Some of us think if we felt sorry for them that, you know, like, yeah, I feel sorry for you. That's not what it is. Feeling sorry for them, taking pity is literally, this is, this is the word picture, your heart goes out to them. In other words, take pity is your heart goes out to them and you are identifying with the person who has wronged you. Does your heart want to do that to people who have wronged you? Church? No. You know what our heart wants to do? Our heart wants to do the opposite. In other words, we want to differentiate as much as possible with the person who wronged you. And we want to say to ourselves, I am nothing like you. That's how we hold on to our bitterness and anger. We accentuate the differences. Identify like him. I'm not, are you crazy? Whenever I go to amusement parks, one of the things I, I've always, I'm always tempted to do but I don't is those artists that do cartoon drawings. 
You know what I'm talking about, right? Because I kind of know what part of my facial feature that he will accentuate. You know what I mean? Like I'll have like a nose, a mouth, and a forehead. You know what I'm talking about? Like that'll be my entire thing, you know? Or my Dr. Spock ears is my wife, you know? I have these kind of funky looking features. So what a cartoonist does is they take one or two feature and they blow it up and they exaggerate. That's what a cartoonist does. Now, that's what we do in our hearts to the offender. We take one thing that they've done and we accentuate it, blow them, and we make a monster out of them and say, that's who you are. We've been hurt because somebody lied to us, right? They lied to us. And when somebody goes, why are you angry at them? We say, because she's just a liar. Wait, wait. She's just a liar. Yeah, that's all. She is just a liar. That's all she is. She's just a liar. And somebody goes, what about, oh, what about you? Do you ever lie? Yes. Well, are you just... No, no, it's com- it, was com- it was complicated. <laughs> there are circumstances, there are situations, the different scenarios. All of a sudden, you're not just, when we're angry at somebody, we go, you're just the person that divorced me. That's all you are. You're just the person that betrayed me. You're just the person that treated me badly. You're just... You know why we do that? Can I just delve into a little bit more? You know why we do that? Every single one of us walk around with a sense of need to justify ourselves. You know what I'm talking about? Do you know why we do that? The nakedness in Genesis chapter 3, you know what that makes us do? We constantly justify ourselves because deep down inside, can I make a confession? Deep down inside, we always wonder, am I valuable? Am I a person of worth? Am I really worth being loved? And that fear, for us to deal with it, the only way to deal with it is we constantly justify, the way we justify ourselves, we compare ourselves to other people and go, I'm nothing like you. I'm nothing like you. I'm nothing like you. Do you know why we don't want to forgive? We don't want to identify with them? Because you have to feel more noble than them. You have to feel like you're better than them. You have to feel like you're superior to them. Otherwise, God forbid... We're not all that different. Miroslav Volf said this. And you guys have seen this quote before. Forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans. And I exclude myself from the community of sinners. Leave it up there, Nate. What do I mean? The process of forgiveness is when you and I, first and foremost, say, I cannot exclude myself from the community of sinners. Forgiveness starts when we go, you know what? I can't continue to dehumanize you by making you say, you're just a monster. That's all you are. That's all you've done. You are nothing else. You're just a liar, just a person to avoid me, just a person to be me. That's all. If we exclude them or exclude ourselves from the community of sinners, if we are unwilling to say, maybe, just maybe, I might not do the exact thing that you did, but maybe, just maybe, I might be capable of doing something like that, or if I had the opportunity, maybe I would do something like that. And unless we're identifying with the person who's wronged us and say, maybe at the end of the day, I am not all that different. We can't exclude ourselves from community. The other thing is we can't exclude them from the community of human. In other words, you can't continue to dehumanize them. You can't continue to say that's all you are because when you and I dehumanize them, 
something happens to us. The anger passes into us and it twists us and it mangles us. And it imprisons us. And I just want to throw this out there. Does anybody in this room really want to be known only for our mistakes and our failures? Then how do we hold other people to a different level of accountability? We have to identify with the offender and say, I'm going to take pity, compassion. Then, identify the wrong, identify with the offender. Third, cancel the debt. This is at the end since what forgiveness is. When someone really, really wrongs you, as I mentioned, there is a sense of loss, a debt. And it can be massive things that you've wrestled for nine, ten years. And some of this, you guys, can we just be honest here? Do you face, maybe just me, do you face stuff every day, little, little stuff here where you need to forgive anybody? I mean, like every day. You know what I mean? Little brush here, little brush. Like every single day I'm running into this thing. And I have to remind myself, what is forgiveness? It's canceling the debt. So here's what canceling the debt is. When somebody wrongs you, there's only two ways you could approach it. One way is you make them pay. How do we make people pay? There's direct ways, indirect ways. Direct ways, you insult them. You're mean to them. You slash into them. You beat them up. In direct ways, that you take revenge. Indirect ways, though, for us nice Christians is what we do. Cold shoulder. Oh, so-and-so really needs prayer. Really? Yeah, let me tell you why she needs prayer. I do this. Some of you do this. You're beneath me. You're not even worth my... Anybody? One of my favorite sayings is so bad. You're dead to me. Anybody else? I'm the only worthless corrupt sinner in this room. Thank you very much, church. I love the fact. Don't worry. I've forgiven you. Uh, so we, 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 we have this mentality where we go, I'm going to make the other person pay. They will pay for it. That's one way you can do it. But here's the thing of what happens when you make them pay. Let's be totally honest. When you make that other person pay and that person rides in pain, that person suffers, they lose their job. They suffer. Part of us feels good. Like, but you know what does? The anger begins to twist in you. And you become the evil that you inflict on them. You and I become the evil. And it makes us hard, cynical, angry, resentful. What's the other option? Instead of making that person pay? This is where it gets hard. We pay the debt. We pay down the debt. What does it mean? Here's what it means. Word picture. That thing that comes out of you and you just want to lash out at them and you don't. And listen, it hurts. 
other person says, tell me what they did, and you just want to go off, and you don't, it hurts. You want to be cold to them, ignore them. Instead, you're warm to them. It hurts. Why? You're paying down the debt. You're paying down the debt. And here's the incredible biblical thing. Even though it hurts and even though you paying down the debt seems like an impossibility, when you do, you know what happens? You begin to cut off the oxygen to the hate, to the bitterness, to the anger. You making them pay is pouring fuel into your anger. Pouring fuel, it feels really good to see a big old bonfire. But that fuel and that fire eventually consumes you. So we pay down the debt. You and I absorb the debt. And so I said last week, forgiveness is an act of the will. You choose to forgive. This is so contrary to what we were taught or what we believe. You don't feel your way. Some of us, this is how we go. I feel angry. I feel bitter. I feel resentful. So I'm going to let the anger, bitterness, and resentment recede. When I feel like forgiving, the Bible says it's the opposite. You grant forgiveness, then you will feel forgiveness. Can I say that again? You grant forgiveness, you pay down the debt in small sums, and eventually you begin to feel forgiveness. That's why the Bible commands you and me to forgive. He says when you stand at the altar, you're about to offer sacrifices. If you have something against somebody or somebody's done something against you, stop right there. Go and forgive and reconcile come back. Why does he say that if we have to wait until we feel? He says it's an act of the will. You choose it, then the feelings will follow. Some of you felt there and you've been paralyzed because you're going, I don't feel it. I haven't felt it because I'm still angry. The Bible says you choose to for- you grant forgiveness, then the feeling of oh will follow. For the next two minutes, I'm going to try to explain this the best way I can. And if it makes sense, will you smile and nod? If it doesn't, go. <laughs> the reason why forgiveness is hard because it's a form of suffering, right? It's hard. Some people would even say it feels like death. Some people will say it's so painful and so agonizing to forgive and pay down the debt. It feels like death. But here's the thing. When you follow the way of Jesus and you choose the way of forgiveness, even though it feels like death, it is death that will lead to a resurrection. It's called the Christ pattern or the way of Jesus. Byron, smile, nod. 
when we forgive and it feels agony and feels like death, that forgiveness and dying to ourself, Christ pattern, eventually leads to what? A resurrection. So the choice is we die now to our bitterness, anger, and forgive, or we choose a lifelong living death of bitterness and anger. Is this not the way of Jesus? See, here's the thing. We could say with all of our mouths, I believe in the gospel, I believe in Jesus. We could sing all these songs. But the litmus test of whether we follow the one who did this for us is to say, I enter into the Christ pattern of death and resurrection. Because this Lord said at some point, anyone that chooses to follow me, they will carry the cross. But it is death that leads to rebirth, resurrection, and transformation. And you never come out on the other side the same. Smile if this makes sense to you. This is why I have seen young men and women who are sexually abused as children going on the journey of forgiveness And when they come to the place of saying, I have let him or her go, they walk on the other side transformed. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? This is the reason why when the entire world watched Nelson Mandela walk out of prison, the whole world said, whoa. A rebirth. A resurrection. Transformation. It's called the way of Jesus. This is hard. I'll read you this. This letter was written by a young man. Once upon a time, I was engaged to a young lady who changed her mind. I forgave her, but it took me a whole year. And I had to forgive her in small sums over the whole 12 months. I paid these sums whenever I spoke to her and kept myself from rehashing the past. I paid them whenever I saw her with another man and I refused, to, I refused self-pity. That's forgiveness. Rehearsal inside for what she's done to me. That's forgiveness. I paid them whenever I praised her to others. That's forgiveness. When I really all I wanted to do was slice away at her reputation. Those were the payments, but she never knew them. But I never knew her payments, but I know she made them. I could tell. Forgiveness is not only a refusal to hate someone, but it's choosing to love and will the good of the offender. It's painful, but the cross, nails, and pain are the currency of forgiveness. It is as the ultimate cross and nails were. It leads to healing and more to resurrection. Some of you are sitting there going, okay, um, but you know what that person did to me? Fine, forgiveness, energy forgiveness, but I'm afraid of what that person might do to others. So for the sake of that person, because it's never loving to let someone sin, 
And for sake of me, sake of others that person might hurt, for sake of God, for crying out loud, sake of truth and sake of justice, like I'm going to confront them. I'm going to do something. Listen very carefully if that's you. If you do not truly forgive in your heart and you try and pursue justice, what are you going to get? Injustice. Because you're going to say, I'm going to go to wake them up. I'm going to go to see them to see the light. You're going to fool yourself with it. You're going to see that. But if you do not truly forgive in your heart and you pursue justice, you're not going to get justice. You're going to get injustice. Why? You're always going to overreach. You're not going to go to wake them up. You're going to hurt them. Make them pay. Are they going to listen? Church, will they ever listen? So even if confrontation, reconciliation, and justice is part of what you want to do, you must, you must, you must forgive. Okay. Well, that was, that was really good. Um, good luck. <laughs> Try really, really hard and uh, pray for you this week. Boys, no. If I were to say that, you guys would walk out here going, that is the reason why I don't want to be a Christian. He has just put a noose of a ton of weight around me and said, I need to do this. And yet he's given me no motivation and power. This is my favorite part. Where do we get the motivation and power? Church? Church, where do we get the motivation and power? Jesus, the gospel. Listen, do you know know what the key is? We have to behold the compassion of the king. What do I mean? The king, the king, the king. The word throughout the New Testament that describes the emotional state, emotional life of Jesus, as I said, is this word, take pity or have compassion, splachna. If you want one word that says this is his badge, this is what he's like, this is what he feels, this is what, it's this word, splachna, take pity, take compassion. And what is Matthew doing? What is Jesus doing? They are pointing us as the king to the ultimate king. When I said earlier, you need to identify with the perpetrator. You need to identify as much as I can. You need to have yourself feel what they feel. You need to have your heart go out to them. Many of you said, that's crazy. That's offensive. I can't do that. What did Jesus do on the cross? What did Jesus do on the cross? Can I just remind us? What did Jesus do on the cross? He hangs it. What does he do? He identifies with us. His heart goes out to us for crying out loud. He became us. God took him who had no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He became us. Talk about identifying with the perpetrator. He became you and me. He becomes us. And I said earlier that we act like the judge, the king, rather than the servant. When we judge other people and refuse to forgive, here's the crux of the gospel is that the king became a servant. The great reversal. Behold, the king who became a servant. And for him to come and die, he knew it wasn't just at the risk of his kingdom, but it would cost his kingdom. It would just risk his life. It would cost his life. And yet, this king becomes a servant, takes our payment. Do you know that word, 
tetelestai, some of you Greek scholars. Jesus hanging on the cross, and he says, it is finished. And we love talking about tetelestai. And we go, it is finished, it is finished. You know what it literally means? Jesus says, it is paid. He doesn't ask us for a single penny. Instead, he says, it is paid. Who do you need to forgive today? Who do you need to begin the process of forgiving today? I had a young lady come up last week. And we're done, by the way. We're going to pray. And said, I can't forgive myself. That's my problem, Peter. And I gently, lovingly looked her in the eyes and said, so let me get this straight. God says he forgives you. You say you can't forgive yourself. So you're a greater authority than God. Is that what you're saying? She looked at me and said, if some of you can't forgive yourself, it's because the truth of the gospel and who he is and what he has done for you is being blocked by your pride and arrogance. That's it. All he says is humble yourself and receive. Okay. I cannot end this sermon series and go, okay, so I'm going to pray for you and, and may the gospel empower you, blah, blah, blah. I, I can't. I can't because you need to know that you do not walk this journey alone. You need to know you do not walk this journey alone. We said last week there are folks in this room who struggle with this to the depths of their core, to the depths of their core. And they need to know that we are there for them as their community. They need to know that this is not just, oh, I need to go seek a counselor. That's a great thing, and we want to encourage you to do that, and we want to have resources to do that. Please come and talk to us afterwards. But this is not something you go, you know what, it's my business and my business alone, and nobody. This is something that you cannot do alone. Today, as you sit here, this might be your first time visiting, and you're going, I don't want to be in this prison of hate, anger, bitterness anymore. I'm going to lead you specifically through just a brief prayer response. But I need you to stand so we can come around you. Yeah, yeah, good. All throughout this room. So these two middle rows have nobody they need to forgive. Wow, that's, that's pretty, wow. Is this a coincidence? It's unbelievable. Like to, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. For those of you that are standing, thank you so very much. And I need you just stay. Okay, stay, stay standing for a little bit. Okay. I need to speak to those of you that are sitting there and going, I know I need to, but you're not going to get me to. So maybe you're just, sorry to use this strong language, but you're pissed off at me and for what I've said, or I brought up some anger, and you're like, no. And so just to spite me, you don't want to? Wow. You need to be set free. 
child of God. Is there anybody else? Balcony area, is there anybody else? Floor, is there anybody else? Nobody else? Is there anybody else? We're going to wait. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else? Really? Nobody? Anybody else? Okay. Okay. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Thank you. Open the balcony area. You guys in that little room, are you standing? Okay. Good. Okay. Because I'm going to make sure people go, oh, thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else? You standing? Okay. Is there anybody else? Okay. Now here's what we're going to do. Those are, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else? Okay. All right. For those of you that are standing, clench your fists like this. Okay. Clench your fists like this and put it in front of you. And for those of you that are sitting down, you guys, in a moment, I'm going to ask you guys to pray for these brothers and sisters. And as you have your fists clenched like this, I want you to, I want you to envision in your fist that person and that thing that was done to you. Okay? Right now, just give you just a moment to do that. And Father, I just pray right now for emotional and mental strength, God. For some of these folks out there to do this, because it's going to be really hard. I want you to think about that person and what they've done. And I want you to envision it in your fist. Holy Spirit, we need you desperately. I need you so desperately right now, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, give me the right words to say. Give me the right words to say. So as, as you're sitting there, standing out there, guys. In a moment, what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to open your, I'm going to ask you to open your hand. I'm going to ask you to open your hand as a symbolic gesture of saying, I want to be freed of this, God. As a symbolic gesture of saying, I want to be freed, God, of this. I want to be freed of this. For those of you that are sitting there right now, will you just spend a moment just praying for these precious souls? These precious souls right now, just you don't have to get around them. Just pray right now as they're standing saying, God, God, will you help them? God, will you speak to them? God, will you strengthen them? God, will you enable them? And there are massive emotions that are going through some of these folks right now. So just pray. Because in a moment, I'm going to ask them to do something that some of them have never, ever thought possible in their lives. In a moment, I'm going to, add, I'm going to, I'm going to lead those of you that are standing in a word of prayer. And at the end of the prayer... The end of their prayer will articulate what I want you to do with your hand. And when you get to that point, and if you're willing, do so. Heavenly Father, we come together today. And we
we acknowledge God, our pain, we acknowledge God, our hate, we acknowledge God, our anger, we acknowledge God, our bitterness and our resentment towards our spouses, our parents, our friends, our roommates, our neighbors. We also acknowledge and confess that you died and rose again to set us free. So that we would no longer be in this prison. But God, for me and many of us in here, we do not have the strength and the ability to do that. We cannot heal ourselves. And we need you, Holy Spirit, to come right now in this moment and begin to work in our hearts. As we have identified who and what it is that they've done. Help us, Father, to identify in our common sinfulness and our common humanity. And we want to cancel the debt. We want to set them free from our hearts. We want to forgive bit by bit. Step by step. And now, Heavenly Father, and this is where you need to pay attention, Heavenly Father, I open my hand and I open my heart and open my life to release and to set free that person. To go on this journey of committing to no longer hate, no longer be bitter, no longer. Help us as we begin this journey. As you have set me free. I want to set them free. Now before we close, I need those of you that are sitting around, these men and women, to stand. Get around them, please. In a moment, I'm going to just go ahead and pray and close, but get around these men and women, please. Get around these men and women. Make sure that nobody who has stood is standing by themselves. Those of you on the balcony area, the two rooms that are next to you were filled with people who were standing. So some of you that were sitting, will you go to the two rooms? Thaddeus, if you could please come on up. We're going to close here in a moment. For those of you that are standing... And standing around these men and women, will you, in the next minute or so, be the extension of Christ's hands and heart and eyes and ears? And just pray for them and love on them. They've already done the most difficult part of this journey. You just need to pray that the Spirit would empower them, empower them to follow through on what it is 
they've asked God to help them do. Take a moment to do that. Let's pray for each other, church. some ways I think it'll be inappropriate to sort of wrap a nice neat little bow and saying here's your benediction go ahead and pray uh, go ahead and, 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 and finish praying and have a good week so here's what I'd like to do I'm going to go ahead and, and bring this to a close and pray even as those of you that are standing around those brothers and sisters are praying for them and I'm just going to pray prayer blessing benediction And those of you that are praying, go ahead and continue to do that as long as you have time, okay? If you want to stick around longer, just continue to pray for that child of God that you do that. If you need to go, thank you for being a vessel of Christ you go. For anybody that needs perhaps counseling or more prayer, myself and a handful of others will be up front. Please come and do that and see us. If you need further professional counseling, contact our church office as we have wonderful resources we could point you to. But let's make sure that we be the community of God and be the healing community that he has called us to be. 
Father, as we end this service today, we end it knowing, God, that your spirit is here, your spirit is at work, your spirit is continually ministering. We want to give you room to do that, God. Father, as many of us now begin a new week of work, family responsibilities, ministry, we pray, God, that you would remind us that we are people who are recipients of grace and mercy, empowered by the gospel and the Holy Spirit, that we would live out our lives of grace and mercy that people would see the electrifying news that indeed, just as we have been forgiven, we extend it to those around us. Be with these men and women and help them to be kingdom ambassadors for you wherever they go. May they be like magnets that will draw people to you, Jesus, because of the beauty of their lives and the boldness and clarity of their confession and declaration of the gospel. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Those of you that need to go, if you could leave quietly, God bless you. See you back here next Sunday, church, as we continue our journey of seeking God. You are our Father.